I've caught your disease. I can't type I just anymore. T- I just typed in American movie censorship Japan. Ugh. That's all I had to do. 50, so it was 45 to 52. So just cut all that shit out. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, um, <laughs> are you ready to move on to our next review here? Or yeah. Are you still hung up on, <laughs> on movie censorship? I just I want to get facts right, man. <laughs> well, then start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. We are back again with another episode of Kaiju Transmissions. Um, this is Bird, and I am joined, as always, by... Matt. Uh, hey, everybody. Yes, yes, that is Matt. And uh, are you finding yourself well today? Um, well, I, I don't know. Do you, do you want to even talk about this Godzilla Monster Planet teaser? not much to I mean, talk about, really. It still looks like Godzilla 2014. <laughs> Does that count as something to talk about? It's just like stuff in space and I, I think the the they they showed a a new monster which is called a servum which I guess is a a creature de- that's uh derived from Godzilla DNA in some form or another. Um not that interesting of a, a creature really. I'm expecting it to just be kind of a cannon fodder, probably a cannon fodder type of a monster, like the I don't know, like the the um like a, the Legion soldiers or something from Gamera Two, but I don't know. It, it, it's I mean you know the fandom's going nuts about it, but it's it's just so it it, it like most teasers, it just shows so little that it's hard to talk about, you know, but I'm, well, I'm, I saw a lot of complaining about the animation style and I'm like, I, I thought it was fine. I saw one friend of mine complain about it. <laughs> I, I haven't seen anyone else, but I don't know. It looks fine to me. I know that the, the blending with, of C, with CG is kind of polygon pictures thing. So I can see some people having an issue with that, but, uh, as far as the quality of animation, I'm not quite seeing, I guess the, the problem. It looks like an anime, for sure. Yeah, it'll, it'll hopefully be... I mean, really what's going to make or break it is going to be the story, first and foremost, and then hopefully it delivers on the the action sequences, which, I mean, we won't know till we see it. But I'm, I'm just... I'm still surprised they basically, like, took the 2014 design and used it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not... I'm not that surprised. <laughs> Oh, man. Does that mean, like, all the people that hated the 2014 design are going to be like, oh, it's Toho, so now I love it? Yeah. Is that what's going to happen? You mean the people that said they didn't like when the 2014 movie had a Godzilla that had, like, 
really small gills that you couldn't see, and then Shin Godzilla was like a crazy <laughs> shape shifting thing with bleeding gills and. So I mean, you know, I mean, there's some people that are gonna they're gonna do that, I guess. Um, uh, well, I guess this episode is probably gonna go out after G Fest, probably. So I imagine, yeah. Well, uh, if anyone, hopefully, are <laughs> we're as recording this from the past. <laughs> so you're, correct. yeah, you're listening from the past. So hopefully, our panel went well, and hopefully, <laughs> people came up and and said hello to us and hopefully i wasn't too like anxious or freaked out because i i i don't like people as in general or being around them so when i'm so when i'm around new people i i tend to be a little quiet and some people uh get the wrong idea so hopefully everything went well um you sound like such an awesome person to be at like a panel i know i'm i'm (laughs) I know. I'm. Yeah. I. I. I hope I knocked it out of the park. Hi, I'm Bird. I'm a. I'm a misanthrope. I hate people. Yeah. <laughs> come talk to me, G Fest. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Come talk to me. But. Uh. And it, I'm sure. I'm sure the people who did come and talk to me were wonderful. And it's not their fault that internally I was screaming. That's <laughs> that's that's completely me. That's just my own social anxiety. It's so. It's hopefully nobody. Took that the wrong way. <laughs> but hopefully oh, it went well, and hopefully everyone had a great time. Hopefully I didn't uh, mispronounce several Japanese words and names and monsters and directors. And oh, I'm you sure know, oh, you know you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so that is um, the wrap-up for our segment, Podcasting from the Past. And... Uh, let's, let's talk about some Korean stuff, Matt. Yes. South Korea. That's the good Korea. Those are the, that's the good guy Korea, right? Uh, yes, I I guess. (laughs) That's, that's the Korea that Dennis Rodman doesn't go to. Yes. It's the one that's not, uh, threatening to blow us away every, every two days. Um, now, uh, Korean monster movies have been problematic. Um, so, uh, Matt, just rattle off a couple titles to you. There's Yongari, uh, Reptilian, the Yongari remake. Oh, man, that's, yeah. Uh, Dragon Wars. Oh, yeah. Um, Ape. (laughs) Um, you, (laughs) you love all those, right? (laughs) I do, I do admittedly love the original Youngery. I mean, it's not good, but how can you not love a, a monster that bleeds from the anus and dies at the end? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that's horrific. Um, so, uh, this trend of shitty Korean monster movies was broken at least temporarily, in 2006, uh, by a director named Bong Joon-ho and uh, with the movie The Host. And today we're going to be talking about two of his uh, films, The Host and the recently released 
Netflix film Okja, and um, we are are gonna run you through those. And uh, I think, well, we we talked about Ape when Kong came out, but um, this will be our first episode solely devoted to uh, some Korean features, and uh, it, I'm sure it won't be the last. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to do the movies that we talked about a moment ago. I'm, I don't know if either of us are very happy about that, but <laughs> uh, it's, it's going to happen. Um, so He's also he's going to be directing Parasite in uh, 2018. Did you know that? Do you know what Parasite is? Are you talking about, like, the manga Parasite? That is that is what I'm thinking. I don't think it's the same thing as that. I, I think it's just called Parasite. Hmm, interesting. I mean, they already did a, a Parasite. Uh, that was Japan, though. This yeah. is Korea. They're not the same place, man. That sounds slightly racist. I don't. <laughs> no, I know. I, no, I well, all all. Uh, okay, I all, all that's it, it been. It probably it probably isn't the same movie. I'm all, just... all that's been said so far is Parasite uh, will revolve around a family going through a disturbance. Yeah, I so, mean that doesn't mean anything. No, that so. Um. Yeah, that's that's pretty vague. Uh, but anyway, no, the, he's actually probably one of my favorite working directors right now. Um, he did some kind of uh, true crime type, gritty kind of Korean um, crime movies, Memories of Murder and Mother, and um, he did uh, Snowpiercer with Chris Evans. Did you ever see Snowpiercer? That is, yeah, it's a good movie. Snowpiercer is great. Yeah. Captain America talks about eating babies in it. And the movie is insane. <laughs> I think it's a better way to describe it is probably insane. Yeah. No, no, My wife watched it and was like, uh, what? What is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Snowpiercer is great. Um, but anyway, uh, so we're, we're going to start with The Host, which is 2006. Jesus, this movie's 11 years old, which means I'm freaking old. Dude, dude my birthday's coming up and like two days i'm gonna be old yeah older yeah but yeah no this movie is already over a decade old which is insane um but uh you know i i I hear these movies the host and okja not so much okja but a little bit Uh, it's been covered by some of the kaiju sites um but the host has always been talked about in uh, passing a, when referring to, to kaiju movies, and I don't really consider either of these kaiju movies. Um, the host, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know why it was kind of... Uh, I mean, it's a great movie, so I'm glad it was embraced by, by I guess, the kaiju fandom or whatever, but uh, I don't know. It never really felt like a kaiju movie to me. You know, the monster... I mean, Mighty Joe Young could probably step on this thing. You know, it's 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 a fairly. It's not that, it's not that small. It's, it's not like that. It, I mean, it can fit inside a semi truck, I guess. You know, it, so it, it's it's small enough. Um, yeah. But I mean, I I don't want. I mean, I don't want to get into into that. I'm just saying it's it's kind of strange that the host is considered a kaiju movie by so many when other movies that are probably a little more qualified don't it's kind of but i'm not going to pretend to understand it but either way 
Um, because of that, and because these movies, you know, they do have uh, a lot of coverage on kaiju sites and everything, so, um, and they're good, so it's, it's, it's worth talking about. So, um, we'll start with The Host, which has its roots in real life, um, and uh, a lot of, um, a lot of themes going through this movie that I, I guess we'll dig into. Um, now, uh, the host is about a large amphibious mutant creature that is born when uh, Scott Wilson, Herschel from The Walking Dead, pours a whole bunch of old, uh, who knows how old, bottles of formaldehyde into the Han River. And not too long after, this thing that looks like a kind of a mutant fish frog thing with big teeth and a bunch of arms, a crazy looking, awesome looking monster comes out of the river and starts terrorizing people. Um, we'll get into that a little more, but, uh, Matt, you know, that were you aware of, uh, I guess the incident that gave Bong Joon-ho the idea for this movie? Um, I'm not actually, well, it's, it's like I'm, I'm reading about it right as yeah. we're talking. But you well, can go it's ahead. it's pretty much exactly what that opening scene is, where uh, Herschel pours a bunch of shit into the Han River. There was a U.S. military um, compound that dumped a ton of embalming fluid into the Han River rather carelessly, and uh, the pollution levels in the water rose very high. And, um, the, the, the U.S. government really wasn't very, I guess, interested in, um, you know, taking responsibility for it or anything. So, um, that, pretty much that first scene pretty much happened. Uh, it's kind of, it's probably the only scene in the movie that is, like, uh, I guess, based on a real event. Um... But, anyway, so, this creature comes out, and um, it has, uh, I guess, kind of like what some birds do, or some, there's some animals that, uh, they store food and save it for later, and so this, this monster takes a family, uh, takes their young daughter, and um, the movie kind of flops between the family looking for the daughter and the daughter trying to survive in the sewers um, with uh, another kid, homeless kid, that um, is also down there with her. And while all this is happening, the family is on the run, and um, the government, the United States government, um, comes out and uh, more or less to cover up what really happened and really caused this monster, they say that this monster is passing a virus along to the population. And so there's a big panic about this virus, and um, they think that the family, especially the dad, is infected. So the government is chasing them down. Um, and uh, this is based on intel from the U.S. that um, one of their uh, military people that helped fight the monster in the beginning um, came down and died of this virus, and um, and uh, the U.S. kind of intervenes and kind of sticks their nose in it and really just kind of spreads all this to kind of cover up the fact that they were the ones responsible for the monster, and uh, 
that's I mean the the there's a lot going on in this movie and that's probably as cliff notes as I can get it. Um I watched this movie for the first time around the time it came out. Um one of my one of the my friends that I was at a Jeep Fest with bought it in the dealer's room and I watched it in the hotel room and uh I've loved it ever since. So I've seen it many times since then. But Matt, since you just watched it um i'm gonna go ahead and ask what are your thoughts on the host and um especially as someone who is really late to the party on this i feel like most people into monster movies have seen this movie by now so um as someone who no doubt has heard about this movie for a long time and finally getting to watch it what was um just overall what were your initial thoughts it's great um i mean it's got it's got a riveting cast of characters. Um, obviously, you feel for the family as they're trying to track down, you know, the daughter, and you have this sort of back and forth. Um, you, you basically have this nitwit dad who doesn't like he he's kind of portrayed as like almost like an idiot throughout. Mm-hmm. But, but you get the idea that he's doing his best to raise his child, and um, then you have like I think it's like the grandpa and. I think I'm assuming it's like his his siblings. Um, yeah, he has a brother and sister as well. Yeah, and, and like the the ending of the film is incredibly sad um, because the you know if you haven't seen I mean, well, it's the movie came out what 2006 I think so mm-hmm. it's now um, but I mean like the, the the daughter ends up dying and like basically instead and when the daughter passed away she was with this other boy and, and they adopt the other boy into the family which is kind of a, a cool thing but like it's just there's a lot of emotion in this film and the monster is terrifying honestly like it's all the time like either killing people or like abducting people and, st- and basically stowing them away for later as food um i mean there, there's a there's a lot that can be said about uh, the special effects are great especially for like a film coming out in 2006 in, in a korean film at that um, I, I don't know. I loved it. I pretty much loved every second of it. It's a very riveting film, and and the the character work is excellent. Honestly, like I, I, I mean, for a movie that's about a, a creature, like you don't typically go in thinking you're going to get a great cast of characters, but this film really worked. Yeah, it kind of proves that you can have a cool monster and good characters at the same time. Um, but it's worth mentioning, I mean, if, if you're familiar with Korean movies, if you watch a lot of Korean movies, this does have, like, an A-list cast. Like, uh, Song Kang-ho is Gang-do, who's the the father, and he's in a bunch of the, like, the, the Chan-wook Park, like, vengeance movies. And um, Bae Doona is uh, the sister, and um, she's the archer. Like, uh, she's a professional archer. And she's kind of, I guess, kind of big right now because she's, uh, I guess... American audiences would probably know her. She's uh, in Cloud Atlas, and uh, she's one of the main characters in the show Sense8. But, I don't know, she's another one that's been around in, in all kinds of stuff. Um, and everyone everyone's so good in it. Um, but, uh, you know, in addition to just the political stuff that we were talking about, to talk about um, your point about the character work... Uh, it, it, the thing is, this is a family that they're not all lovey-dovey, you know. They, you know, have issues with each other, and, you know, the 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 
the brother and sister character is like they're frustrated because they don't think Gang Du is a very good father. They can't believe that he put her in a situation where the creature could take uh, take her. And then um, the grandfather, like he's he's kind of trying to hold this kind of bickering family together and. Um, you know, tell them, you know, don't be so hard on him. You don't know what he, you don't know what his daily struggle is like. And, um, you know, it's all very interesting to kind of see this family in a way bond over the, the, the missing daughter. And, um, another thing about the, the family dynamics is they're often very funny. Um, you know, when, (laughs) when they're kind of ribbing at each other and, kind of poking fun at each other they're they're often really funny and it there's a lot of very clever writing there um and uh i've heard some people say that they find the humor to be a little jarring and um i can see i can see that but um a lot of that is very i don't know it's kind of like if you watch certain japanese movies like maybe like a mike film and the sense of humor is very Japanese, you know. The sense of humor in here is, is very Korean. Like, there's a scene where they're at the girl's funeral when they, they think she's been killed, and they all kind of collapse on each other, and, you know, they're they're crying super loudly and obnoxiously, which I guess is kind of what Korean funerals are like. But the, the movie kind of makes it, gives, it, it uses that as, like, a point of levity to kind of, like, point out how ridiculous everyone is being with their emotions like overcoming them and um i don't know i I didn't really find those sequences distracting or annoying or anything i i i laugh at them every time i watch them yeah they were uh i laughed several times throughout the film even when like they're making fun of each other i thought they were hilarious but maybe i'm just (laughs) no 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 it's the, the comedy works and i mean he knows it works that's kind of uh it's kind of doing another something that he did in another movie, uh, Memories of Murder, where you know the 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 police that are kind of solving this murder are are morons, you know, <laughs> and you know it, it's almost a very Coen Brothers ish. Um, yeah, that's a probably good <laughs> like uh, approach to uh, writing the protagonists, but in a way that also makes them a little more relatable. You know, nobody is you know, coming out an action star, you know, you don't have the, 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 the Tom Hiddleston Skull Island kind of character, you know, you have the, they're very like, they're the everyman. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. You also have the, the homeless guy <laughs> that ends up like essentially killing the monster. Pouring <laughs> gasoline on him. Yeah. And that, that's only because the one guy like gets hurt and sleeps <laughs> under a bridge and <laughs> like becomes friends with this homeless guy. Um, uh, I want to ask you to ask you what you thought of the monster. Who I guess I don't know. I, I, the fans have kind of dubbed him Guom, Guomul, which is a Korean word. I don't know if there's an English translation for that word, but I know that's what the movie's called uh, in Korea. But um, what did you think yeah. of the the creature itself? Yeah, I mean it's it's weird. Like it's a it's a bizarre looking mutated thing. Um, it, it it's not something like you're gonna get in a Godzilla film. It, it looks more like a kind of like a weird salamander that grew like arms and legs and like a mutated fish head, but like with teeth. And then it has like I, I, it, it's it's just a bizarre looking creature. But it, I mean, like it's it's a cool creature film basically. Um, 
Like it wouldn't be my my preferred monster thing, but like it works for this particular mm-hmm. movie really well. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. Well, maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say I wouldn't need to see a a giant version of this fight Godzilla or anything. It's just it's a it's a cool monster and the approach that it's like certain animals in the wild that kind of take their prey to a, a like a closed space and leave them there. Um. I don't know. I thought that was a really novel concept for a monster movie. And then um, it does like kind of what some animals do also, where it throws up the bones of its prey. <laughs> Which is um, nasty, yeah. And uh, and I know um, Jordan Vaught-Roberts is a big fan of this uh, movie as well and incorporated traits from this uh, monster into the skull crawlers. Um Particularly, probably like how it how they move and uh, how they throw up the bones, but the the skull crawler is generally attributed to be a kind of a mashup of the the two legged lizard from Kong thirty three, uh, the Pokemon Cubone, the creature from the host, um, the Miyazaki character uh, No Face, and yep. um, the fourth angel from Evangelion. And if you know any of those characters and you know the skull crawler you could probably imagine which parts of the skull crawler came from what that makes a lot of sense yeah um uh but the the thing is um this movie is kind of it kind of does really well what a lot of movies don't and i'm kind of going back i don't want to keep harping on this cuz there are is other stuff to talk about but the character stuff is 100% engrossing and it's you know when you're not sitting around waiting for the monster to come back you know and i if you've done that you've made a great monster movie i think yeah it's not like your typical monster creature on the loose or you're waiting for like jason slasher kind of thing like it it's this is a movie where you care about the characters like i was genuinely upset when the movie ended like w- w- with with the daughter dying like you you care about these people mm-hmm. and you you can't say that about a lot of the creature films that that you see. Yeah. Um, now, uh, there's a lot of political subtext as well here. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing that this movie was a big reaction to, you have to remember this is 2006, and unfortunately I think some of our memories are fading from then, but this movie was also a pretty big reaction to... Uh, issues with the Iraq war and um, really just America's foreign policy in general, the way that they um, intervene in this situation. And, uh, you know, they create this scare about uh, this virus that doesn't actually exist, um, you know, for their, for their own gain is reminiscent very much of the uh, the Iraq War and a lot of the the controversy that came out of that and uh, even even as uh, roots in Vietnam as well with um, what's called Agent Yellow, which is this chemical that the Americans insist on just spraying people and uh, cure like it would it'll help cure them. It's a callback to Agent Orange, which is a chemical weapon that had really awful side effects on people in uh, in Vietnam. 
everything from deformities to offspring with birth defects to gangrene, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and uh, that's a pretty not-so-subtle allusion to Agent Orange. But um, Now, uh, Matt, did you have a particular read on the political stuff? Did any of it... Um, did any, any of it bother you? I've, I've heard some people can call this movie anti-American, and I really don't think I would go that far with it. I think, if anything, it's anti-American foreign policy, which, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think our foreign policy is pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm anti-American foreign policy, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Um, I, I mean... Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's not the initial part of the movie is based on something that actually happened. So that's pretty much on the nose, but like the rest of it, it it's one of those things where like you don't trust the government you have. Obviously, we have a huge presence in South Korea, but it's like kind of one of those things too. It could also be read as like any government could be not trustworthy in this massive cover up. So it doesn't necessarily feel like it's anti-american as much as like any government at all mm. could be trying to hide their mistakes so to speak um i wasn't really offended by it i mean yeah. i don't know i try not to be by these these movies i do think it's it's fair for them to make a movie about a, an event that actually happened like yeah which was our fault <laughs> it was i mean we, we did something like literally that's what we did to to like their river <laughs> like, and we didn't seem to care about it either we just said I, I, oh oops. you know the, the the older that i get i mean i hate to say it but like the the more like disenfranchised that i get with our military presence basically being all over the world and finding out like all the terrible shit that we do <laughs> in a lot of places <laughs> not that we don't do good things either right, but it's of just course. There's a lot of bad things that end up happening, and I feel like some of those things need to probably be addressed a little bit, and, and movies are one really good way to do that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm pretty much with you. I, I mean, I know it bothered some people, but I don't know. What doesn't bother people? You know, a lot of people Every, are... Dude, everything bothers people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, uh, you know, they, people get mad at, you know, oh, they should have been wearing blue instead of red or, you know, it's just stupid yeah. stuff these days. And, and the thing is, I mean, the movie works. I mean, it's great that the movie is is taking a genre like a monster movie and using it to say things. I mean, it says things about pollution. Like you said, the military presence in... Um, you know, just our, our foreign policy um, and, and issues that went that were going on at the time in Iraq. Uh, so, I mean, it's great that, you know, um, they use the, uh, a monster movie to kind of get that stuff out there. But the thing is, like most monster or genre movies that do have a lot of that in it, you could be completely ignorant of any of those things and the movie still plays. You know, um it's almost like uh, if George Romero made a monster movie, it would be like this. Like, like you can watch Dawn of the Dead as just an awesome zombie movie, or you can watch it as like a scathing critique of commercialist and consumerist culture. You know, it works either way. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and the other thing is, like, I don't think people realize some of the stuff that happens with like animal mutations and pollution. Like mm-hmm. that stuff, some of that stuff really happens. <laughs> Not oh, yeah, that we're going to do, create, a, like, do a Google search and look at all the 
fucked up <laughs> things that <laughs> come out of our rivers and uh, it's it that stuff's real man like yeah. it's not it's not fake and it, it um you know one again one good way to, to address that is movies and this this kind of goes back to something that uh bano did with godzilla versus the smog monster like you, you got you sometimes you got to show the worst to kind of get your your message across and like mm-hmm. I, seriously, do a, just just do a Google search and you'll be horrified. <laughs> I I always like when they do movies like th- I mean, I'm not saying drama. I, I I like a good drama also, but you know, for example, I, I like I think it's more creative to turn those things into science fiction or horror than it is just to make a a movie about you know pollution or Hiroshima or whatever. That's yeah. not to say there aren't good dramas about those same things. Absolutely not. There's amazing movies that don't have monsters and creatures. But I just, I just admire the creativity of putting it into a genre movie. Yeah, I mean, it gives you the freedom to probably do different things and tell a, a more unique story and then visually maybe do something different and, and maybe even be more graphic in a lot of ways and, and get a different message out. With... The host, uh, I just like that it, it comments on so many things from family relationships to uh, parenthood to put and then going to pollution, the war in Iraq. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff being brought up in a monster movie. And it's it, and it plays one way or the other. And um, it's 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 refreshing to see these characters really fleshed out, and you know things that they set up pay off later. Like the sister character, she keeps losing these competitions because when she's doing her archery, she, uh, you know, she's not she's not shooting on time, you know, and what ends up how 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 is she going to get over that using her skill set to helps resolve the problem you know i mean that's that's just good writing that a lot of movies kind of seem to have forgotten how to do <laughs> you know um and uh i i don't know to to see it in a movie like this just it just feels good and it's like you know what it, it is possible to to really this movie really hits all all the check marks in my opinion, it does. Yeah. So what's what's a good rating for this bird rating system? Uh, gotta... Hmm. Jeez, there's fake viruses. There's <laughs> dead kids. There's. <laughs> um. Uh, monsters. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, how many? Uh, River mutants, do you give this out of five? Yeah, this is this is easily a five. I mean, I don't I don't know what else you could give it to be honest. It's, yeah, no, honestly, it's a five for me. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's it's five, wonderful. Five dead kids out of five. <laughs> and of and I, this is one of those movies that like people that haven't seen it like. I'll watch it with them or let them borrow it, and everyone that I've shown this movie to has loved it. Um. And uh, yeah, I, I think that this is this is an essential watch, really. Uh, if if you're into monster movies, this 
Um, like I said, I, I'm not sure how much I would... It's a big monster. I'm not sure how much I would put it in the giant monster landscape, but um, uh, the, the kaiju fandom really embraced it back in 2006, and um, if you still haven't seen it, you should, you should definitely check it out. Um, oh, you know who else was in this uh, besides Scott Wilson? Um, Herschel from The Walking Dead. The, 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 the other, there was other guy in it. Um, <laughs> I forget the guy's name. But you, people, he's that cross-eyed guy that was in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Um, he plays a doctor that is uh, trying to lobotomize the, the dad. And um, that's a pretty fun whole sequence, too, because... He, oh, like, <laughs> dude, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that guy, all, that guy is, he shows up in a lot of stuff just playing these weirdos. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's, a, that's a really fun is scene, it, too. Is it David Joseph? I'm, uh, I'm just... His name's Paul Lazar. Paul, La- yeah, yeah, Paul Lazar, okay. Um, but, yeah, he was in Philadelphia. He's in Silence of the Lambs. He shows up in a lot of stuff. But, no, his, his, his whole sequence is really fun. Um. Now, uh, it's worth mentioning that at one point, for a very long time, uh, a 3D, um, the Host 2, um, was, was, uh, going to be released, and, um, uh, apparently it was going to be a prequel of, uh, somehow, I, how do you make a, I, I don't know, I, I, like, the, there's articles, um, like, Sci-Fi Japan ran some stuff, there's articles, there's concept art, I think there might even be, like, some previs stuff that they did, um, and I don't know, when I, when they announced the idea, well, the host two, eh, I mean, if you can think of a sequel idea that is gonna be different and unique enough to justify it, like, Aliens is to Alien, Okay, maybe maybe let's see what where you can take it. Uh, but even then, I kind of was like, eh, it's better off left alone. And then hearing it's a prequel, I don't know how you do a prequel to this when this is the first time you see the monster. Yeah, it seems weird to me. Um, unless like the monster just like never got. Like people went missing and nobody found out about yeah. it. I don't. And and Bong Joon Ho wasn't even going to be involved, so I don't know. I'm not. That sounds terrible. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I mean, it was. It was the clear, just kind of studio cash grab thing because this one was. Because this movie was successful there and here. Like, I made know. a ton of money. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm okay with with it. Oh, you know what? I, I you mentioned it, but I do want to go back to it real quick. Um, is uh, the effects? Um, the CG is pretty decent for a Korean movie. And then um, there was a little bit of practical work done by Weta as well. Ah, okay. And, well, that, um, that explains why it looks so good. Yeah, and if, if you have the DVD, um, there's a special edition DVD that's two discs, or I think it's probably all on the Blu-ray version, but uh, I have the DVD version, and on the second disc, there's a whole bunch of special features, and there's one where they go to Weta and, like, watch the creation of the monster and everything. And it's, there, there's a lot of features on there. It's, it's really good. There's a, a really good commentary and Bong speaks really good English. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good home video release too. And I think you can probably still get it pretty cheap. So anyone that doesn't have it should, should grab that. Um, oh, and, and, uh, that's the other thing I wanted to say. Cause I just, I just got reminded when I said this was the first appearance of the monster. I love the first scene that the monster shows up. Um, 
the guy jumping. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was reading an interview with with Bong Joon Ho, and he said, you know, as much as he loves movies like Alien and Jaws and stuff, he one thing that frustrates him has always been the. Well, we're just going to show you the monster slowly, and it's going to show up. You're only you're going to first see it in like an hour into the movie, and he was like, "No, no, 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 I'm not doing that." And like ten minutes in, here's your rampage scene. And uh, I mean, I I really love a great monster reveal, gradual through the movie, but I I admire the audacity to just be like, "I'm not doing that." Here's the monster. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, the first scene's like the guy. I think he's trying to commit suicide, right off the bridge or something. Um, I'm trying to remember. The, the well, that happens, and he sees it like swimming in the water. <laughs> and uh, but then the first scene where you really see it is like only a couple minutes after that. It's when because the family in the movie they uh, they run a little food stand by the yeah. be- kind of by the beach, and um, I guess it's a busy day in the summer, and there's some event at the beach or something, and. Um, and uh, then the monster is seen kind of, someone's like, what is that hanging off that bridge? And someone's like, oh, it's like a part of the bridge. It's construction stuff or something. And then it starts moving, and then it dives into the water, and then it comes out and starts, like, knocking people, like, into the air and, and wreaking havoc. Um, and th- that's the first scene. But I But I love that first shot when it's just, like, hanging off of the bridge and... You can't quite make out what it is, and then it starts moving. I love when, when monster movies do that. Like, they first show the creature kind of blending in with its surroundings, and then like it starts moving, and you're like, okay, that what the hell? And then, but yeah, that that's when all hell breaks loose. Yeah, it's a great it's a great sequence. Yeah, and that that's the first scene where, because up in, I mean, you've really only spent like five minutes with him, the the dad, Gang Du, but that's also when like you start to think like maybe he's not a complete moron because everyone's running away and him and this American soldier are like the only two that like go up and try to fight the monster and like he's picking up these big concrete like street signs and trying to like hit it over the head with it. And that's when it's like, okay, this guy maybe isn't a complete cowardly idiot. And then, you know, throughout the movie, you, you kind of see how he, cha- how this event changes him and kind of, you know, by the end, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of become a better person, you know, and I, I know a big, I guess, visually metaphorical thing for that was in he has bleach blonde hair and then at the very end when you have a time jump forward he has his natural dark hair and you know that's kind of showing how he's i guess he's matured because of the situation it's a great movie i mean i everybody should see it (laughs) yeah and then another aborted uh, host film was in 2008 universal had bought the rights to do an american remake with uh, Gore Verbinski, most famous for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, producing, and uh, it was going to be a first-time director. It was set for a 2011 release, um, but outside of that initial announcement, nothing has happened. So I don't know. Do we need a remake of this? No. No. I mean, I don't don't think we do. Like, we... I would take this over a remake of Akira, which sounds like a terrible decision, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> well, one thing about this and Akira, though, is I've seen is the there's such unique 
I guess, properties to their country that by taking the Korea out of the host or the Japan out of Akira, I think you're really losing something. Um, I've heard people say that about Godzilla, but I think I would only apply that to if they were trying to make an American remake of the original movie, maybe. Um, but I don't know. It really, when there's been good remakes of Asian films, for sure, but I don't know. The host just seems like something that not only is popular enough here among movie fans that I don't think it's necessary, but also I just, I don't know, I can't see what a Hollywood version of this movie would be like. Yeah, I mean... Because like Akira, everything good about it is stuff that you wouldn't typically see in a Hollywood movie. Yeah, like, you, well, unless you're like, do, there's not there's not many, like, food, I mean, there's still food trucks, I guess. <laughs> Well, yeah, not around us. I I think those are bigger in like California and like. Yeah, we have we actually have them here in Ohio. They just go to businesses for some reason. Like literally every every, like Wednesday, there's a pizza one that comes to our. Yeah, and you know, like (laughs) Um, big cities like New York and stuff have. Yeah, well, I I think I think Akira would be one that you. Akira is essentially so Japanese that like I don't know how you remake that and make it make sense culturally here. It just it, <laughs> I don't it know how you do it either. I, I think you can you can make the host, but the thing is, if you if you remake the host here, then it just becomes kind of a monster story, and that's really yeah. like you could have a family dynamic, but like it, you know, it's kind of like when 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 there was talk of an actual Cloverfield sequel, it was like, well, we're we're gonna just do uh, the same story, but not with the found footage gimmick, and it's like. Well, the found footage gimmick is kind of what makes Cloverfield different from other stuff. So you just want to make a typical monster movie? You know, I mean, that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah, I don't... That's so bizarre. Um, Like I said, Akira Akira to me is the one that you... I... But, you know, again, I thought... I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard a lot of mixed stuff about uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, I've I haven't really heard anything too positive <laughs> about Ghost in the Shell. That seems uh, um, but no, the host is great, and I don't know, I I don't think a remake is necessary. I mean, it's it's readily available. I think it's on Netflix still. Uh, I mean, just just watch it. It's it's a great movie. And it broke the shitty Korea monster movie curse. So, uh, okay, so now we're going to talk about Okja, uh, which is a his second Bong Joon Ho, uh, second English language movie. The first being Snowpiercer, uh, which we talked about how awesome that was earlier. Um, uh, in the inner Hollywood circles, it's a little controversial because it's attracted so much attention as being a Netflix title, so much so that when uh, it had its theatrical screening at the Cannes Film Festival, the industry insiders in attendance booed when the Netflix logo showed up at the beginning. Um, and this can lead <laughs> to a different discussion that maybe we can have uh, in a little bit about 
the shift from theatrical to streaming and how most, well, I'm not going to say most because that's not true at all, but a lot of filmmakers are gravitating towards platforms like Netflix because they uh, can have more creative freedom. Um, and uh, so um, I know one of the things with Okja was Snowpiercer uh, was distributed by the Weinsteins, who I'm not going to go into their history, but if you know them, they have a habit of uh, buying foreign movies and not releasing them or cutting them or uh, stepping on great directors, whether it's Guillermo del Toro or Peter Jackson or whoever, and uh, really kind of handcuffing them. Uh, and uh, Snowpiercer was going to get a wide release, but the Weinsteins wanted to cut about 20, 30 minutes and... Um, after fighting that as much as he could, they said, well, we'll release it full length, but you'll get a limited release. And frustrated with that experience, he went to Netflix um, to get Okja made. And I don't blame him. You know, it's, it's harder and harder for people to get these uh, original non-franchise, middle budget, you know, not huge blockbuster or tiny indie kind of movies right in the middle. It's, it's hard for those to get made now, and Netflix is kind of helping a lot of people with that. The next Scorsese movie is going to Netflix. So, um, But Okja is the tale of uh, uh, a super pig by the name of Okja who uh, was part of a experimental program by a big capitalist uh, mass meat producer... Um, uh, for these genetically modified animals that would be bigger and um, they could make and sell them for cheap and um, they would, as the head of the company, played by Tilda Swinton, so elegantly put it, they have to taste fucking good. And <laughs> Okja is... Uh, and, and so what they did was they told the public that these pigs were being found in the wild, but what they actually did was they took them and they scattered them throughout the globe and gave uh, different farmers um, different super pigs to take care of. And then after a certain amount of time, uh, they would hold a competition for the, the pig that was the healthiest, the biggest, et cetera, et cetera. And the healthiest and biggest pig is Okja, who has, uh, is... Uh, uh, in a, on a Korean farm with a little girl and her grandfather, who's played by the same actor that played the grandfather in The Host. Um, he has a really funny voice. I don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah, he does. It's, it's, it's this very gravelly... Uh, anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about this guy's voice. But anyway, um, and uh, she has formed quite a bond with, uh, with the giant super pig, Okja, and it is time for the the big company to scoop her up and put her on display as the the best super pig and event and of course after all that publi that big publicity stunt, uh, stunt will be sent to the slaughterhouse for mass consumption um and uh um yeah it's it's just uh at that point uh the little girl is trying to get okja back and be friends and animal rights company called ALF, ALF, not to be confused with the cat-eating puppet. Um, and uh, this is uh, their journey to get Okja back. Um, and 
Oh man, I haven't even gotten into Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, Jake Gyllenhaal is a whole separate conversation we're going to have to have in a few minutes. <laughs> but this Great. this just dropped on Netflix, and uh, I watched it last weekend. And Matt, you watched it, I think maybe a day or two ago. Um, but uh, so I don't know. I've I've given the I've blabbed enough with the plot summary here. What what were your thoughts on on the movie? Uh, very eclectic. I thought. Uh, it's one of those films that like Oak just sort of steals your heart. It, it, it like you you love you love the the, the animal. You love uh, I think the girl's name is Mija. If I'm mm-hmm. saying that correct. yeah, Mija. Uh, she, she's awesome. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is freaking he, creepy. He, he is on <laughs> another level in this movie, and uh, I'm not sure how up to date you are on Jake Gyllenhaal, but he he kind of became in the mid 2000s like a very bland Hollywood action hero leading man kind of uh, type. But in the last few years, he's been doing a lot of these really interesting indies where he's just playing these weirdos, and this performance is insane. I don't quite know how to describe it, but he's got these weird shorts and a huge mustache, and he's always like sweating profusely, and his. his <laughs> His voice is super high pitched, and he's just very, uh, just this very flamboyant, kind of out of this world character who is like just he he has his own like wildlife show, and he's kind of sold out to the big company as like a spokesperson. And um, at times, you know, he's even a little conflicted between you know his actual love for animals and his dedication to this this uh, huge company, but. I I don't know. I don't know how to describe the performance anymore. It's so crazy. I don't know how he came up with a character that crazy. Um, but it honestly, it's one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, yeah. I... <laughs> when, when, it... when he first showed up, I was just like, oh, my God, what's he doing? This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, he's like this. At first, you don't know if you love him or hate him. And then you end up hate. Like, for me, it's like you hate him at the end because of all the things he does. And there's like this very graphic scene, uh, where, where basically like he's torturing Okja. And the whole thing is, uh, the, the ALF is, is they put, there's a box on Okja's ear that is basically tracking her progress. And the ALF replaces that box with their own. So they can basically put a hidden camera to film what's happening to the, to the animals inside the, the compound. And essentially, because uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, because his character is uh, so like upset because he's basically on the outs with the, the, this big company, he sort of revolts against w- what they want and he starts torturing Okja. And so the ALF captures all this stuff on camera and like he sort of like forces her to, to mate with this animal and implies like rape and stuff, which is really oh, bizarre. Yeah, yeah. There's the, the yeah, Okja indeed gets raped. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was that was tough. And then there's like this, and then he basically um, uses like this stabby thing, and like he takes part, like he talks about taking her meat, and he samples her meat, and like they actually cook it up and then give it to people, and, and they're talking about how awesome it tastes. And so that's the footage at the end of the movie that they play to show how horrific all this stuff is to try to turn people against this big old company. Um, but like his character during that whole sequence is like like the joker bad like it's it's this incredibly 
riveting performance that he that he gives yeah, throughout he, that whole thing. Yeah, he's drunk and he's stumbling around, he's crying, <laughs> but he's also kind of laughing, and it's it is bizarre. It's I don't know. I that performance was just it was it's just nuts. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a couple parts where I felt the movie was a little long. I mean, like if I, if I'm going to complain about anything, I think you could maybe trim out like 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really enjoyed most of it, honestly. Yeah, I I, I really liked it. Um, as someone that's seen pretty much all of this director's work, it's not. It's probably not. I mean, it's not my favorite movie of his, but it was really enjoyable, um, and it was very well done. Uh, the and, and not just Jill and all, but all the performances I thought were good. Um, I liked Paul Dano, who's uh, one of the ALF guys. Also, Stephen Yun, who's um, I guess most famous for playing Glenn on The Walking Dead. Uh, he's he he was a lot of fun in this, and uh, he that character kind of sells, kind of acts in his own interests at one point and is on the outs with the company and gets his chance or not the company, but with ALF and gets his chance to, to redeem himself. Um, Tilda Swinton is fantastic. Um, she plays, uh, the head of the company and also her twin sister, who is (laughs) kind of a even shittier version. Um, and of her, um, and, uh, Every, everyone in it is really good. Um, and, yeah, the movie has a little bit of E.T., a little bit of Mighty Joe Young, particularly the the 98 version. Um, and on top of that, just the weird sensibilities of Bong Joon-ho because, you know, the movie plays like a family movie it, it, a lot, and it, but it's also got a lot of swearing. It's got a pig rape, and it, <laughs> it goes into some very dark territories in the third act um, yeah it does like there, there's there's some happiness to it but like there's some also like you're not going to get the happy ending that you see in a lot of typical hollywood films right um and uh for being a, a cg creature um okja is really a a creature that i think um is very it's very easy to be invested in Okja, which for an all CG creation, I'm, I'm sure isn't the easiest thing in the world to, to pull off. Yeah, that's, uh, the CG was only spotty for me in like two spots specifically. And yeah, it's still not huge blockbuster CG, but, um, for, for what they had, like the host for what they had, it, it, for the most part was good. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was pretty good. Um, what did you think about the like we, we talked about this kind of uh, in our little Facebook thread, but did did you like the idea of the twin sister? Like did you Um I can well, I mean our our friend was saying he wasn't really sold on it because they introduce the other twins so late in the story and she's also shitty. And I, I understand that I understand maybe feeling that the character is introduced too late. But I wouldn't agree that the character is pointless or that you could deliver the same message with only the one character because um, it's it's kind of a it's a it's a representation of the two faces of the industry um, and what this movie is really discussing is the mass meat industry which we'll get into in a minute but to kind of circle back to just to answer your question. 
um, it really going to the idea that the public face is a, a little prettier, a little more well-spoken, a little more warm, um, and doing what's best for the company, whereas the sister who kind of takes over at the end after kind of after this coup uh, is you know a lot more uh, rough looking um, you know worse teeth worse you know rude selfish and only acting in her own interests in the interest of money basically um and neither of them are saints by any means but but it's kind of showing that you know even the commercial side of big business isn't the best but then there's also the dark underbelly that's even worse um, and I don't know. I, I I like the idea of representing that those themes with twins. I mean, I don't know. I I don't remember if you even had an opinion that, that you expressed. But I don't know. How did you feel about um, going that route to express those ideas? Yeah, I mean, like it it didn't really bother me one way or the other. I I thought you could essentially tell the same story with the same character but if they if they were going with the symbolic idea which i I can tell that based on your viewing of it uh is kind of like your your take on it like if that was their idea i didn't quite get that initially like i wasn't Mm -hmm. thinking of it that way um i I think you can you could have just used the one sister so like it was kind of late in the game to introduce that other character it didn't really gel as well as it could have but it didn't also distract me from the movie either like, right yeah that, that's that, like, i mean uh, with a good enough writer you can get around anything you know uh, and so i'm not gonna say i guess i shouldn't say i don't think it could be done at all or whatever but i i, I don't i don't see I, I mean a lot of the times directors like to do things like that just purely as representation of a theme um and yeah. You know they aren't they aren't doing it because they think it's super relevant to the story. It's just there to kind of deliver a little more subtext on a particular theme. Um, that's, that's something you see a lot in Asian movies and um, and and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I it, it's a valid criticism when you don't think something's serving the overall greater purpose of the story. But it's also not uncommon, especially for like I said, especially for Asian movies to go outside of, you know, I guess the quote-unquote rules just just because they want to show something visually or or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it, it's not an invalid thought, but it's also, you know, I don't think it's a problem the way they did it either. What did you want to say about the uh, the meat industry specifically? Well, oh, well, well, okay, well, I'll get into that. Um a little bit here uh well i i guess a lot of even netflix themselves i saw they put up this i guess it's kind of like a funny little ad for the movie where it's life before okja and it's a woman buying meat in a grocery store and then life after okja and this woman in the store is crying and she's like cradling like a like a tray of meat and stuff um and uh i don't know a, a lot of the common read is that the movie's anti-meat or, or I guess, something along those lines. And I, I kind of want to dig into the theme or, I guess, the message of the movie because, like the host, I'm not sure if everyone, maybe even ourselves, are really kind of pulling 
like the host, I think some people are kind of reading things the wrong way. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know what your, your take on it overall. What, what did you think about that portion of the movie or what it was, I guess, portraying in terms of, I guess, the meat or animal issues? Like, I mean, did you think it was anti-meat? I mean, what what was your interpretation of, I guess, the theme of the movie? Yeah, like, it 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 definitely makes you think differently about how animals are treated. There, there was no doubt that, like, during the movie, I was thinking, like, man. And, and the thing is, you know that on farms and stuff, like, with, with animals, like, this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is – the slaughterhouses and stuff, like – it, that's what goes down you know animals get mistreated or you know various things like that or in like it, it, it's really crappy to think about um at the same point like are you going to stop eating meat because of it that's right. the question you gotta ask yourself right <laughs> yeah i mean like seriously that's really yeah. what it comes down to no for sure um i mean we don't have to get into all the specifics of why it may or may not be okay to eat meat but um well first of all the meat industry is terrifying matt i don't know about your experiences I've never been a vegetarian or a vegan. Um, I've played with the idea of being a vegetarian, but not super seriously. You know, I never, it's, you know, it's, it's, it, I ain't doing it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but um, even, but it, it is something that every now and then I do get a little morally conflicted about. And even when I was younger, I kind of did. Um, and in high school, I read the book The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, which is basically an expose about how terrifying the meat industry is in the form of a novel. Um, and through that, I was, you know, I started looking at slaughterhouse footage and things like that. And I don't know if you've ever dipped your toe into that kind of research, but oh man, it is. Yeah, it's it's bad. I, I, like, here's here's the thing. Uh, I have, I mean, I, I, I come from a certain, uh, religious background and, be, and because of that, like, I don't have a problem eating animals. The, the thing is I don't want to see animals mistreated. And that mm -hmm. is definitely like, I, I think a big part of this movie. Yeah. If, if right? anything, I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, Something people should think about, not going vegan or vegetarian, but looking at maybe where you're getting your meat or animal products, like from free-range yeah, farms. Exactly. Or is it, or is it yeah. from these mass-produced, giant capitalist like companies? Um, and, I mean, it, man, it's out there. I, I mean, there's, like, animals are crammed into these tiny rooms where they can barely move, and, you know, uh, like, if one way of you know if shooting the animal doesn't work then they'll like do all this other crap to it you know while they're still conscious like chickens are crammed into these tiny cages and a lot of the times their wings and feet break and they just have to sit there and you know they're force fed uh to get them fatter quicker and you know but milk hell the, just milk is terrifying itself they have uh you know, they line up cows to artificially inseminate them on what's what what is called a rape rack, and then the the if if the the baby calf that comes from that pregnancy is a male, it 
gets sent to the slaughterhouse for veal. If it's female, they raise that to impregnate it and eventually send it to the slaughterhouse. So it's just this, it's, it, it, it's like a never ending nightmare. <laughs> and I'm saying that as someone that does eat meat, but, uh, and every now and then feels bad about it just because, I don't know, it's factual stuff. You know, and yeah, I mean, I, I get that. My uh, so my <laughs> my ex wife was uh, uh, became vegetarian about two and a half years into our, our mm -hmm. marriage, and yeah. like that was a weird. Well, I've actually had a lot of friends, uh, a lot of friends um, who have are vegetarian or vegan. So I'm I've known I've known plenty of them. I've heard it all. Yeah, like if, that, if that's some, I have no problem with it. That that's someone's like personal choice. I know this. I love steak, and I love chicken. Um, oh, steak and chicken are so good. <laughs> they really are. But but like I said, I like my my whole thing is I I don't have problems eating meat. What I think I have a problem with is going to be the things you just talked about. Like I don't want to see like an animal suffer. Like yeah. I'm, I don't want to see the. And, and the, I you, hell, I even bristle at the the phrase humane who humanely killed, let's just call it what it is. You're killing something. You are extinguishing a life. <laughs> there is no such thing as humane killing. It's killing. Now, it may not be as torturous or as painful as the less preferred method, but, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's get comfortable with enough with ourselves to admit that, yeah, we're eating something that was killed, and it, there is no humane there. Um so, I but mean, hey, I always ask myself this question: If they were on the top of the food chain, would they eat you? And I always think, yeah, they they probably would. And <laughs> You're right. Once, I mean, yeah. like that's how it, that's how it works, right? Yeah. Like, if and they're then, on the top it, of the food chain, they're going to eat you. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've heard jokes or maybe racist comments about like, how can this country eat dog and stuff? And it's like, well, we eat pigs who have proven to be just as smart as dogs. And a lot of people keep pet pigs that are a lot like having a pet dog. It's very strange how culture dictates what animals it's okay to eat. Like... Yeah. Um, and I mean, just think some countries think cows are like the most sacred beings in the world. And here we're just like, nope, did well, fuck them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me that filet mignon, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, my issue is more with, like I said, I'm comfortable enough in just saying like, yeah, it's a thing and it's going to get killed and you know, that sucks, but. You know, I don't want to get into the economical or agricultural side of, you know, eating meat, but uh, food needs to be eaten. And it's, but it's, yeah, it's it's these big factory kind of meat industry things that bother me where, you know, you don't have to stuff like 50 chickens in one cage where they can't move and they're, all their limbs are being broken. Like, you don't have to do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a really like, there's a really difficult scene in Oakja where like they're they're basically just herding these things up this metal trough to get their heads cut off, and and they're just stuffing them one after the other into this like thing, and it's like that kind of shit happens. Mm -hmm. and, and when you th and when you think of it that way, it's like it, it's it, it does at least make you think about like man this this sucks i know it's i mean up. it really it really yeah. it, it it does it really does um one thing that's interesting though is um uh there is the character uh named silver who's part of the alf who he's basically afraid to eat anything 
because he says even even agriculture and eating vegetables like there's all kinds of issues there too and i mean if you look it up i mean there's serious scientific studies that i mean it's going to sound silly when i say it but it's like we don't know so i know why they're studying it of whether plants can feel pain and then he the this character is talking about you know how messed up the agriculture industry is so he just doesn't want to eat so the movie is kind of taking the position that you know food consumption in general uh kind of i guess well i guess i would say the mass production of food through capitalism is where it's unethical not so much the consumption of the product um yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And um and Matt uh just kind of, you know, just cuz I wanted to be able to dig into the themes of these movies like um I have an interview here pulled up and it's an interview um with both uh Bong Joon-ho and Tilda Swinton. Um and Tilda Swinton is a producer on this movie um along with Brad Pitt. Uh this movie was actually financed by Brad Pitt's company Plan B. Um but uh so uh, this is, uh, I'm just going to read it because I, I, I don't know. If I try to summarize it, I'll probably make it sound stupid. But um, it's an interview with uh, the AV Club. Um, and they asked uh, Bong Joon-ho and Tilda Swinton, um, one of the themes in Okja and Snowpiercer is the disgusting aspects of human consumption, what people will do to consume. And then he asks, uh, you're talking about the evil of capitalism here. Uh, or the evils of capitalism and, you know, mass production here. Uh, and he asks them, do you see the movie as anti-meat? Then Bong says, uh, no, actually in the movie, you'll notice that Mija is not vegan. And then Tilda Swinton comes in and says her favorite food is chicken, but the chickens are animals that she lives with and she has a different relationship with meat. And then uh, Bong follows up with that by saying, so within the grand scheme of nature, I don't oppose eating animals. Humans have been eating animals for a very long time, thousands and thousands of years. Even animals eat animals. These factories that process meat products in a mass factory scale have been a recent endeavor. It's not really a problem with humans eating meat or the habit of eating meat. It's a problem with the mass production and how we treat animals in the era of capitalism. And then Tilda comes in and says uh, it's about denial, the ways in which we are encouraged to just not employ consciousness about our relationship to the planet and to all beings in it, whether they are non-human or human, and what we do um, end up putting in our bodies. The way in which we are encouraged to think of ourselves not as human beings or even customers, but consumers. As Nancy says in the movie, if it's cheap, they'll eat it. So that whole paradigm, I think, is really what we're looking at. And Mija and Okja are kind of avatars in the film. They're awake, they're conscious, and they're connected to one another. They're not cynical, and they haven't given up. Um, and that's the end of that question. But um, I thought that was very interesting, given how many people I've seen saying, I'm going to go vegan after seeing Okja, and Okja is uh, anti-meat propaganda. And I just kind of wanted to go through that segment of this interview just to kind of talk about where I think that read might not necessarily be what their intentions were well it's clearly not <laughs> i mean like that's right. not it's what we were trying to talk about earlier where it's like it eating meat is fine it's it's how we're going about doing it essentially yeah i mean let's not pretend that we don't treat animals terribly <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean it's 
Yeah, it's it's bad. I, I I could not go to a slaughterhouse and work. I just I couldn't do it. Oh no! (laughs) Like every time I do see one of those like really messed up like behind the scenes of slaughterhouse videos, and they just have the guy like walking around. The hell are you watching on YouTube, (laughs) dude? It's out there, man. (laughs) It's out there. I I was just trying to be woke, man. Bird's YouTube history is like <laughs> slaughterhouse videos and dog beheadings and like <laughs> what you can do to yourself. Uh, I'm sure some someone is probably thinking I'm being offensive in some way, either towards animal eating or not animal eating. I don't know. I'm not really I'm not really taking yeah, a position yeah. here. You know, it's just I, I there's it's just i mean there's seven billion people on this planet or something crazy like that and i mean that's too many people to feed and go about it in a way that isn't bad in some way (laughs) it sucks yeah that's the other thing too is we're we're coming up on like a legitimate um food shortage yeah, I mean, like that—that's something that we we already have in America alone, like thirty million people that are legitimately starving. And across, I forget what the number is worldwide, but it's uh, a lot, a lot more than that. So there, there's a lot of issues with our growing population in general and not having the kind of food. So, like, part of the issue is. Do you just torture the animals and like <laughs> try to feed <laughs> yeah. people? I know. I mean, or it's like... it's one of those things that on both sides, either you know the vegans or animal rights groups, or the people that oppose those groups, both parties. It's kind of like Democrats and Republicans. Both parties just kind of think there's an easy answer one way or the other. But yeah, there's, there's not. Yeah, there's, there's so not. much gray area, and there's so many things to you know like one of my friends i i love i love her but she's a very staunch animal rights activist she opposes any kind of exploitation or consumption of animals from meat to zoos what what anything um and i respect i respect her immensely i respect her opinions immensely but every now and then when if we do get into some kind of debate or something it's it's always just so black and white of it would be so much easier if we did this instead of this and it's there is no it'll be so much easier if we did this it's just it's one of those things where i'm not going to pretend to be educated enough about it to say what's best and i i really think it's it's there's so many issues to factor in that there's no solution. It's, it's a problem with no solution. That's how I look at it. I mean, for me, it's something where you have to. I, I prioritize people over animals. Period. Uh, that's just kind of how I look at it. Not to say that you just throw the animals to the wayside, but like. Yeah. See, my my friends like fuck humans. I just care about the animals. <laughs> yeah, and like I don't I don't get that because like for me I, I think I prioritize people over. I mean, I'm just gonna prioritize people because. I think humans matter more, but at the same point, you have to do it in a way that you're not going to like endanger a species of animals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and and here's, here's an example when you, and this is unrelated to a certain extent, but like, think about like Trump's wall. If you think about one of the bad things of Trump's wall that nobody talks about is like, when you put that up, you prevent animals from migrating and you can endanger animals Mm -hmm. from 
just just from being able to move from one thing, and that kills off food population. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and look at the ecological and you know environmental implications of something like that you know they're huge but people either don't want to think about them or think that you know whatever this is a black and white issue and it doesn't matter but i mean those people are wrong none of the none of the issue i mean i i think i think it's easiest to sum up and say none of the issues we've talked about for the last like 10 15 minutes are black and white or have easy solutions yeah um, they're they're problems i mean the best solution would be the only surefire solution is with the big corporations that are doing things all fucked up and unethically, but you know they're not going to change. So I mean, I don't if know. It wasn't yeah. If it wasn't actually about just money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really the issue. Money makes the world go the world go round, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's the heart of the problem. Yeah, money and, is and, the real, and, real yeah, and, and yeah, if these big corporations can do everything super cheap and super shitty, I mean, they're going to make more money. And that's exactly what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What so, the, the chicken has a broken leg? Well, let's kill that chicken. <laughs> yeah, so so that's why stuff sucks and I don't know. People are the worst and, you know. So uh how many how many, <laughs> how many, how many oh, oh no, how many raped pigs? <laughs> How many, how, raped, many raped how many raped pigs do you give Oakja how, out of five? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go, um, man. I, I feel like it's, it's a solid three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go three and a half. How many drunk Jake Gyllenhaals <laughs> as Johnny Wilcox? <laughs> Johnny Wilcox, yeah, he's the That's, best. I, uh, I, they just need to do a spinoff and just make the his show in the movie like an actual show yeah he he's his character is great uh, uh, just a half hour show of johnny wilcox interacting with different wild animals would be amazing it would be my favorite thing ever but uh i'm right there with you i'm landing right on the same page at a three and a half um i think it's very well made um uh i I, I think maybe you could maybe lose about 10 minutes, but overall, it's not something that I found boring or anything. Um, and all the performances were great. Uh, it, it, I mean, that, that, that Jake Gyllenhaal performance alone is worth recommending this movie. But, you know, that's also, you know, Tilda Swinton's great, Stephen Young, Paul Dano. Uh, they're all good. Um, and Okja itself is just a, a charming creature. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty well done movie. Uh, I'm not going to a four just because it's probably not something I would go back to often. Um, the good yeah. news, yeah, the good news is it's a Netflix movie and it's going to be on Netflix until the end of time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyone listening can go onto Netflix easily and, uh, and check it out. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, and, uh, and Yeah. So those are those are the two, I guess, big creature films from Bong Joon Ho, and we'll, we're we're definitely going to talk about other North Korean monster movies, um, not just these two. Um, so future episodes, at some point, you you will hear those, um, and uh, uh, yeah. So how how do you feel? We we didn't talk about this, and I know you wanted to. How do you feel about the uh, a tour, however the crap you say that, 
filmmakers going to to netflix yeah yeah i mean now that we're done with the movie and we're kind of wrapping up i do think that um with this movie being controversial in i guess the hollywood elite um who are kind of blaming netflix and streaming services like amazon and hulu for attracting these kinds of projects um as you know signifying the death of the theatrical experience and blah 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 um i mean if if here's the thing um like i said the mid budget movie is dead and directors in hollywood if you if you don't want to if you if, especially if you want to work in genre like we're talking about science fiction movies here so if you have a sci-fi movie like okja um and you want to make it for you know uh whatever budget this movie was it, it couldn't have been that much um i'm just going to pull it up right now 50 million you want to make a sci-fi movie like this for 50 million every now and then the studio might get, throw someone a bone with like a you know a district 9 or something well even that movie's old now so i don't even know if some, i know yeah so i don't even know if a movie like district 9 would be made now but you know you want to you have these projects and you know the studio is is it part of a big franchise no do you have any like i mean there's great actors in here that we love but do you have any like super a-list actors do you have a tom cruise or a leonardo dicaprio no uh okay well is it why why should we bother you know i and i think more studios are kind of taking that position and um uh with netflix they kind of say well hey you know we make like geez it's it's billions off of subscribers and you know now that they're making their own original content they're like yeah we'll make it what's the worst i mean we make so much in subscriptions that we're not going to step on your toes too much and interfere and you know producers aren't going to give you a hundred notes on what they want you to change in your script you know just do your thing and uh i think I mean, I love going to the movie theater, and I share the belief that movies are... uh, Ray Harryhausen always said movies should be looked up at on a big screen, not looked down at on a small screen. But with, A, the quality of people's home theaters, and B, movies are... It's all franchises and cinematic universe this and sequel that and remake the other thing. Um, And directors don't want to do things like that. And... Studios are very stingy with what they're willing to finance. Like, uh, what, what, no matter what your opinion of the movie is, Martin Scorsese's passion, passion project was Silence, and it took him 20, 30 years to make that. And so if even he can't get his passion projects made, having one of the best track records ever, you know, what does that say about the system and what they want to spend money on? And uh, it's no coincidence that his next movie is going to be a Netflix original. You know, I I think, um, and it's the same with TV. Now TV is getting more cinematic and more creative, and you have people uh, and movie directors and stuff gravitating towards TV and, you know, long-form storytelling. And um, because they're finding that those are the, the formats that they can work and be more creative. And... So, like I said, I like going to the theater, but overall, I'm going to value the content more. So if TV shows and Netflix movies are where 
my favorite directors want to go to make the projects the way they want to make them, I, I'm, I'm fine with it, you know. I'm not crying about these rich studios finally, you know, people not wanting to, to go see Transformers 5 after being <laughs> burnt by four other awful Transformers movies. I haven't watched know? that yet, but I'm going to, and it's going to be a terrible suffering. Oh, it's wild, dude. Um, <laughs> so, you know, to see Transformers 5 bombing and then a movie like Baby Driver, which is lower budget, make it, but that already having its budget back, it's like, okay, you know, those are the things I, I want to see. It's kind of like... I always liked having CDs and once physical media for music disappeared and all the record companies started shutting down and, and everything, I was like, good. These are huge corporations that have just been greedy vultures who have <laughs> mispaid, who misadvertised, underpaid, underadvertised bands for, for decades, and they're finally getting what is coming to them. So, you know what? If Okja or Netflix is uh, a rejiggering of the studio system, I'm okay with it. It's weird now, too, because what you're seeing, like, with the whole DC losing directors left and right, and a lot of it comes down to studio control. Mm-hmm. So, I, it's just a matter of if the director is going to get their yes man. Yeah. Or, and, and or, I mean, look at what happened. Yeah. Well, look, look at the clusterfuck that's going on with this Han Solo movie. No, I mean, Star oh Wars my. is a gigantic mess. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> I, I, to get that deep into filming and lose the directors and the editor and. I think they're basically starting over from scratch, aren't they? Like, that's, that's essentially what's I, happening. I don't know. They would ha- almost have to if they're going to overhaul it. That, that's the thing. Like,. There's so much, just everything needs to be like a certain format. And some people know how to make that work. Like Marvel knows their formula. They make it work beautifully nine times out of ten. But then you get someone like DC who doesn't really have a set person or persons calling all the shots. And so you never know what you're going to get. You're going to get a clusterfuck like Suicide Squad. You're going to get something <laughs> awesome like Wonder Woman. And from what I understand, Wonder Woman is the first one that was more, I guess, collaborative and, you know, driven by, you know, someone like Jeff Johns, who has a high position at DC Entertainment. Like, I mean, and without that, when it's just notes from a billion pro- different producers all trying to get their ideas shoved into your script... How good is your movie gonna be? You know, pretty and, terrible. Yeah, and and so that's why the Kevin like Kevin Feige with Marvel or Thomas Tull with Legendary like you need to admire the the vision those guys have to bring their movies to life. Whereas you know, at least with the first few of these DC movies, it's been just a bunch of different people giving a ton of different notes, and everything is just a mess. So. I don't know that, ha- and that happens so often. And you know, I, I, and directors and writers working under those conditions, you know, they 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 would rather just go to Netflix or TV or something, and that's fine. <laughs> fine with me. <laughs> well, I think that wraps up uh, this episode. I don't really have anything else to add. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about? I mean, you don't have to get as long-winded as me and babble on none. But what what <laughs> what do you think of the the you know, Hollywood freaking out about Netflix. I mean, I, I think you're just going to end. I think what you're going to eventually see is you're going to probably see less movies in the theater and you're just going to see 
basically the big blockbusters are still going to be the big blockbusters. We're just going to have less of them. And you're going to see like what you're talking about, where you're, you're going to have directors moving their, their stuff to, to Netflix so they can have more control over their product and, and their vision, essentially, um, which which I'm fine with. I mean, I would rather go to a, to the theater to watch a movie. But I mean, like I wouldn't have gone to see Oakjo in the theater personally. Mm-hmm. Like that's just me. I don't have I have to be sort of picky about what I'm going to see because movies are freaking expensive now. I <laughs> know, man. Dude, it's like I mean, you, you, like tonight to, to go see Spider-Man, I think I spent like 30 bucks yeah. and it was just me and Sarah. So it's like I, I have to be picky and choosy about what I'm going to see now. And so I'm going to go see some of the, the bigger blockbusters. I'm going to, you know, and, and that's the other thing, too. I think that's part of the other reason you, you might have people that go to the movies less and that also forces studios to be a little more picky and choosy about what they're going to put in the theater so you might also see these directors that have lower you know mid-tier films go to like hulu or netflix or right. stuff like that or, or go to television <clears throat> yeah 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 if, if you're going for a big theatrical release yeah you got to be a huge budget or you know or like tiny budget like like jason blum who produces all the like horror movies like um sinister and uh get out and you know the paranormal activities and but what he does is he's like okay here's four the good news is you the director have complete creative control the bad news is I'm giving you four million dollars, and he's just, <laughs> and he he's just kind of like, well, you can take it or leave it. But then look at when that when you get a movie like Get Out, which is not only great but also does amazingly well. It's like, wh- do you know how much profit they're making from that model? So I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of people trying to do different things, and I think in the next five years, we're gonna kind of see what way the pendulum is swinging and. Um, and it, you know, as much as I enjoy the Marvel movies or the MonsterVerse or Star Wars or whatever, I am hoping that we are going to break out of this giant, huge franchise, cinematic universe, CGI orgasm <laughs> thing that that we have going on. I mean, there, there's still great movies being made that way, but geez, there's so many of them that they all start to blend together sometimes. God, I, like the Tom Cruise mummy thing. Like, I don't have any interest in that. And everybody's just trying to make their own universe thing. It's just, yeah. it's, it's sort of, other, just do something new. Another thing about Hollywood is they're still pandering to China, which means they're gonna they're they're going for for movies that you know are very simple stories that are easy to translate. You know, it'll go down nice and smooth. You know. Everyone will understand. You can bring everyone, your family to it. And sometimes those movies are great. I'm not saying that you can't make a good movie that way, but it also is another thing that is going to hang over the director and the writer's heads, (laughs) you know, that is going to be a pain in the ass for them. Well, plus you need a Chinese actor or actress or (laughs) two. Yeah. And then you also have to shoot something that is like indigenous to China at some point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, yeah, you got to have a lot of, like, the man, people are tearing apart the new Transformers, even in China, over the amount of Chinese product placement, like, oh, <laughs> there's, like, characters, like, sitting around in Mark Wahlberg's garage drinking, like, Chinese milk, and... <laughs> that was in the last one, too, though. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you remember there, how much, there's, like, the... a, there's a part where they're, uh, like, looking at a Chinese car lot website, and this guy, it's like, guys, come on. 
It's it's so bad. Yeah, the Transformers films have an enormous amount of product placement. The one dude's like, in the fourth film, I just remember the one guy's like sipping on the the Chinese like drink like multiple times throughout the film. <laughs> it is it is so it's yeah. so bad. It's like where did you get that? <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, it's just let let a director do their thing. That's that's <laughs> when you're going to get a good film. I, yeah. I'm really sad too that stuff like. I want to see. I want to see a new Friday the Thirteenth. I mean, I feel like that's never going to happen now. <laughs> I don't know what. That's that's the easiest movie to make. You can make it cheap. It'll make it its money back, and you, it, you can give them a seven to ten million dollar budget and be fine. And I, feel, like, I feel like any screenwriter can write a Friday the Thirteenth movie. You could sleep. write a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Anyone could. It's, it's <laughs> teenagers having sex, getting murdered. Like, what's hard about that? What is? That's that's the easiest well, movie that's to the write. Thing is like the studio at one point they insisted for some reason it had to be found footage. Then and like, then they wanted to do like the what the stupid winter story like yeah, it was gonna. And, and it's just like <laughs> why don't you just bring someone in, hear their pitch, and if it sounds good, let them do it. Don't get hung up on one idea like found footage or it has to be in the snow. Like who cares? Just bring someone in and let them give you a good pitch and let them go do it. That's you guys end. did Jason. You guys did Jason X. You can find like <laughs> yeah. You you can find a way. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, oh, uh, that's enough for, I guess, that lively tangent. But it's all relevant to this movie because uh, right now, I guess, in L.A., it's, you know, the poster boy for the death of theaters. But, you know, we know that ain't going to happen. But Nope. Theaters are doing fine. Yeah. But if more people, um, you know, go to Netflix to get stuff done, I mean, do it. <laughs> And if you have Netflix, watch Okja, because... It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, uh, we're, we're, all, we're all done with this, I guess. Any, any last words? Uh, I want to eat a, a hamburger and <laughs> steak. <laughs> yeah. All right, those, those are good last words. All right, well, good night, everybody. <laughs>